This is the Machination Log for May 25th, 2016, Introverse Part 2. I'm your guide and spirit animal, David Paddock. Good morning, everyone. In the Introverse, we try to show what makes the human mind its own worst enemy in a wide array of situations. And today we're going to talk about trying to relax. Because I work weekends for my job, it is a semi-custom for our team to take Monday off. And for the first time in a while, that's precisely what I tried to do. No work, no projects, just do what comes to mind and hope for the best. Here is an account of why I don't normally do that. I wake up at 6 a.m. Last night might have been late by my standards, somewhere in the ballpark of 2.30 a.m. by lights out, but my internal clock knows, despite this denouement, that there's something that needs to be done. Only there isn't something that needs to be done today. Today is my day off. I turn a bit, rewrap with sheets, and fall back asleep. I wake up at 6.35 after dreaming that I was force-fed DMT, during which everything became headachingly vibrant and mostly just made walking around difficult, not that there was anywhere worth going in whatever drab apartment complex I was being held in. Relieved to discover that I wasn't in fact hallucinating and kidnapped, I shift to my other side and fall back asleep. I wake up at 6.45 to sprinklers. Not my sprinklers, I would have done something about that. My neighbor's sprinklers. This goes on for 20 minutes, during which time I feel terrible about how bad I could probably make him feel about how much he's ruining this peaceful morning were I to first learn his name and then complain about it. I think his name may actually be Jeff. He seems like a nice guy, aggravatingly so. The sprinklers wane, and I fall back asleep. I wake up at 8.20, conditioned by Mike's alarm, which I expect to go off at 8.30. I lie in anticipation of the moment for the full 10 minutes. It goes off, and when he doesn't stir immediately, I nudge him. He starts, turns it off, and lies back down. I remain perfectly still. Snoring seems to suggest that he has fallen completely back asleep in less than 20 seconds. This freedom over one's consciousness is frankly absurd, and the thought keeps me awake until his snooze alarm goes off another nine minutes later. Recognizing it as a snooze alarm, a dozen articles I've read in the past six months about how awful snooze functions are pop into my head. I'm virtually certain Mike is aware of such evidence and simply doesn't care, but maybe he's not. Maybe his morning is actually a disaster because he gets out of bed on the wrong foot because he's screwing up his sleep pattern, and I could have mentioned this like a good boyfriend would about a million years ago because communication is both critical and impossible in every relationship and we're fucked, which is fine because of course, and so on. He turns over and gives me a hug while I'm lying there. I make a vaguely growly sound in return. I remain fixed in place as he gets up, does whatever he does in the morning, and leaves for work. As a matter of accidental ritual, I don't ever watch him do his morning routine. It feels taboo. The second the front door closes, though, I leap out of bed, pace toward the shower, remember that this is my day off, and fall asleep on the carpet in front of the bathroom. I wake up at 9.50 after a dream about trying to speak without opening my mouth on a dare with the guy who drugged me in the previous dream. I have little carpet imprints on my face. They come out in the shower. First order of business is breakfast, but I don't know what to eat because I'm not gearing up to do anything. Normally, I'd go with coffee, eggs, mushrooms, a bell pepper, an avocado, a banana. I probably eat too much for breakfast. That thought jars me, so I just skip breakfast entirely and hop on my bike to go tend to my mom's two guinea pigs, whose names this month are White Pig and Other Smaller White Pig. They need love and food while she's out. I provide the food and presume they can sustain themselves on loving carrots for the other part. 
They certainly want nothing to do with me. All negotiation takes place at distance with outstretched lettuce, and even then, smaller white pig suspects my motives. An uneasy truce. I depart. By this point, it's 10.30, and I'm pretty tired on account of all this pig feeding I've been doing, and also not being asleep for more than three consecutive hours. The cumulative sleep time should have sufficed, but I had also consumed a steady stream of liquor the night prior, preparing to watch two episodes of Game of Thrones back-to-back. Anyone who has seen the show in the past few seasons knows this more or less requires intoxication. I fight to remain upright for a few minutes, realize that I'm not doing anything except standing in place, trying not to collapse, and opt to collapse in my recliner. I make one concession to ritual at this point by putting in my 10 minutes on Headspace. It's a mindfulness meditation app where a British man with a shaved head tells you to sit still and scan down your body so you can tell how it feels instead of thinking about things every second of your waking life. This was working for the first handful of days, but now every time he gets to the part where he mentions scanning the body, I imagine those rings you fly through in Star Fox scanning down my body, which reminds me of Star Fox, which reminds me of a lot of fan art of Star Fox, which reminds me of Rick Griffin, which reminds me that I'm supposed to be meditating. So basically, my brain gets about four minutes of peace and four minutes of impossibly attractive dogs. It's a win-win, is what I'm saying. I highly recommend this app. 10.50. My mind has been both cleared and aroused. Time to come up with something to do. 11.50. I wake up in my recliner after a dream that, on balance, I'm glad I don't remember. I shake off the remaining stupor, stand up, walk over to my PC with conviction, and turn it on. If you haven't seen it in a video or in person, I work and play at bar high tables. This allows me to avoid the largely unknown side effects of sitting all the time, it lets me pace, and it allows for pretty much constant snacking. Highly recommended. I load up Steam and look at my favorites list. My eye turns to Company of Heroes 2. I'm not great at Company of Heroes 2, and I've become rustier over time. The last time I played with Ryan, it was a 4v4 showdown, where one of our teammates, who pulled approximately 5% of his expected 25% weight during this losing struggle, aggressively pinged my HQ full of Panzer Grenadiers, told me to delete the game, and rage quit on us. It's been months, and I haven't played it with another human since. The logic is pretty basic. Why try to have fun playing a game I like if there's a remote chance someone I don't know who's garbage might tell me I suck? Feeling on pretty firm ground about that conclusion, I pass Company of Heroes 2, and keep looking down my favorites list. It's not really a favorites list so much as a you Luddite cretin, how have you not played this already list, to be fair. Divinity Original Sin, Galaxy, Grand Theft Auto V, Shadow of Mordor, Read Only Memories. I would probably love all of these if I just sat down and was a completely different person than I am today. Today is just not that day. I scroll down to what I really know I want. The game that was in the back of my mind in the first place, that I was too ashamed to admit was going to be how I spend all day. My drug of choice for when I don't know how long I've got, but I need it to fill the time. I install Tropico 4. Tropico 4, for those who aren't familiar, is a Banana Republic city-building game, like SimCity with more rebellions and cynicism. You can choose between ruling with an iron fist or leading your island nation to modern affluence. As a born optimizer, my route through this game is identical every time I play it, regardless of scenario or geography. I'm the kind of guy that Will Wright was not talking about when he discussed his design philosophy for The Sims, where people attempt to become the president and the general and 
the lead doctor in the first playthrough and then make more interesting scenarios for subsequent playthroughs. I'm the one who was more than satisfied being the president and the lead doctor in every game of Sims I ever played. Tropico 4 is no different. It's just a warm blanket of numbers, like any number of other clicker games, but with slightly more thinking involved. I extracted the good calories out of the game a long, long time ago, circumventing its challenges and eccentricities, and all that's left is the high-fructose corn syrup of essentially guaranteed economic prosperity. It's disgusting, but I always want more. One o'clock. I leave to visit the doctor. My insurance will pay for a physical once a year, and it seems reasonable to take advantage of that. 1.30. I arrive at the office with a grip of paperwork they sent me a week ago to fill out in preparation. I hand this slate over, and the receptionist gives me another four sheets to fill out before I go in. This doctor has online records. I have an app on my phone that will let me see an arbitrary fraction of them. Another notable feature of this app is a scheduler that lets you pick a date and time you wish to come in before telling you to call to schedule an appointment. This doesn't bother me any more than everything else about the entire medical profession, so I fill out the forms and get called back by a nurse. When we get to the room, I move toward the exam bed with the white paper, and the nurse says, rather firmly, I thought, you can sit in the chair here, motioning toward a normal chair near the door. Spectrum senses tingling. I grasp for some context clues about the situation I've now found myself in. Was that a tonal error on her part? If she is on edge, was I the cause? Did I reply curtly to something she said? Does she look out of sorts? Is the fact that she's a black woman playing into this, what would that even mean? Where the hell did that come from? How long have I been standing here? Thankfully, she either didn't notice or care however long it was while my brain shuffled through Atlantic articles about wage gaps, and I sat down in the chair. 145. An overweight, world-weary man in a white Under Armour shirt opens the door. I've never seen him before, but I take it he's a doctor. His manner is brusque and detached, which I don't mind because I don't trust medical professionals as a general rule anyway. He spends about 15 minutes typing what I wrote on the forms into the computers. He is not fast at this. Then the physical begins, a battery of commands and taps and grabs. He is very fast at this. It's slightly cathartic, to be honest, and certainly the most focused I've been all day so far, trying to suss out what he's doing in any particular moment. He confirms that I'm in good shape, shows me out, doesn't say bye, or shake my hand. That's a kind of industry I can appreciate. I still don't like him, but I appreciate his lack of desire to waste time, other than on records he likely has no say in. 2.30. I pull back into the driveway at home, and I go straight back to Tropico. Sound plays no role in Tropico beyond the soundtrack, and this gives me some time to listen to my Monday slate of podcasts. In rapid succession, I listen to James Besson explain to Russ Roberts why robots are only kind of going to destroy the middle class over the next 20 years. I listen to the partially examined life crew discuss a vapid feminist novel from the early 20th century. And I cringe my way through the libertarian presidential debate hosted by Penn Jillette. I, like most Americans, am a libertarian at heart. I believe the government should only act in spheres where it is necessary to protect our freedoms those areas nominally being defense, justice, emergency response, infrastructure, welfare, education, trade, health, industry, and ecology. I think Gary Johnson would be a wonderful legislator and an awful president. I think Austin Peterson is insufferable, and I think John McAfee should speak at more public events whether or not he was formally invited. 5.30. Mike comes home. 
I'm still playing the same scenario in Tropico that I started with because, as I'll discover in about two more hours, the objective I'm trying to complete is broken. Mike inspects my time timer, a poorly named timer with a red dial in the middle that gives a good spatial read on how much time you've got left for an activity. He asks why it's running while I'm playing the game. I say that it's, quote, making sure I don't play this game any longer than I have to, unquote, which, though I haven't said many things today so far, is certainly the frontrunner for the most insane. I've been resetting the timer every 40 minutes for no reason whatsoever. It just feels good to have it running next to me, kind of good the same way that I would be feeling if I was being productive rather than relaxing right now. 7.30 p.m. I finally turn off Tropico 4 and uninstall it again, as I always do, as if that will keep me from doing this again someday. I did manage to sneak a few other things in between 12 and 7. I bought a sub and I did take another nap, but all told, I wasn't feeling great about what I'd accomplished on my day off. Put another way, I was shaking with anxiety about the time I'd wasted and would never, ever, ever get back. I brooded on this while staring over Mike's shoulder as he played Overwatch, a brand new, well-received game that I owned that I could play with him in the next few minutes, likely having a wonderful time in the process. And so, I got a cup of coffee, sat back down on the recliner, and started typing instead. Too late for sculpture, too late for coding, too late for the big stuff. I figured the least I could do at this point in the day is commit to written record exactly why I don't take days off. Good morning, everyone.